Pete Lockett embodies a very specific kind of global cohesive approach to music that has been one of the most pioneering forces for a while now. It's actually one of the topics we get into and try and dissect why more of us are not doing it. But I'll leave that uh, to the conversation to elaborate upon. The point I'm trying to make here as an introduction to my guest today is that you're in for a treat because um, you get to listen to me pick one of the world's most cutting-edge history-making percussionists currently active for a while now. As we say on Tapasya Loading, it's starting to become a thing now. The conversation speaks for itself, so I'm just going to get out of the way and let it do exactly that and move on with it. Before we move on, though, a word from my sponsors. I did code marks there. This podcast is brought to you by the holisticianoacademy.com. That's my coaching and mentorship website. It's a new venture, which is still in beta mode and one where I'm attempting to integrate my 20 plus years of experience as a professional musician and a coach slash educator and more recently certified personal trainer and counsellor. The idea is to offer a holistic form of education, 360 degree mentorship for artists of all ages and stages in their career for not just music, but also self-care, well-being, workout routines, yoga, and of course, music lessons. Today's episode's also brought to you by every nowheremusic.com, which is my artist website. I have a new piano album out, my debut solo piano album, in fact, and uh, I'm in the midst of the promo campaign for the same, and I'm just going to use this opportunity to kind of add to it. Check out every nowheremusic.com. I'm going to include a link directly to the album, which you can download on all streaming platforms and Bandcamp and direct from my website. Last but not the least, this episode's also brought to you by tlwrites.com, which is a very specialized freelance writing service I offer for artists and creative professionals. And now, moving on to an uninterrupted podcast. Hello, fellow beings. Welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Um, I, I realized earlier on that I might have been slightly rude. I never actually asked you what I ought to call you. I just went on a first name basis, but I uh, never actually asked you if that was okay. No, that's absolutely fine. And is TL good for you? Absolutely. Superb. Where are you, where are you based, TL? I'm based between uh, Germany and um, and India. Before the COVID hit, I also had a couple of satellite bases in London and Lisbon. Yeah. Since the pandemic hit, I'm based. I'm spending longer spells and living between Berlin and uh, India. Yeah, yeah. Well, sounds exciting. Anyway. Thank you. Appreciate that. How about you? Whereabouts? Uh, in which part of the world are you now? No, no. I'm in London. Just, just in London. Beautiful. So yeah, just uh, no satellite bases. Well, it, it's the kind of city where you don't really need any. It's it's an entire universe but, of its own, isn't it? Very true. It's very true. I was. Um, Going through the email you sent me, which I find fantastically uh, formulated, by the way. Thank you for the direction in which you pointed me towards. Ah, pleasure. Your no, pleasure is all mine. It's an, it's an enormous honor to have you on, by the way. Um, I've been a fan and an admirer of your work for a while now. Well, thank you. And thanks for inviting me. It's going to be fun, you know, catching up and, and uh, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. talking all the music. Yes, sir. That, that's the idea. Um, where would you um, suggest we start? What? 
you know, we we can we can start wherever you like, really. I mean, uh, you know, it was it was uh, you know, I liked some of your your um, astute observations about the the um, you know the the different areas that that I've covered, and you know, primarily how um, you know how they're integrated into a uh, integrated into a hybrid vision. Indeed, you know, so I think that's probably a, a fairly a fairly decent place to to kick off. Yeah, I'd say so too. That's. One of the first things I had um, noticed when I heard heard you play or, uh, for the first time or saw you perform was um, you brought together these musical worlds which have usually been somewhat oblivious to each other, yeah. especially uh, from a rhythmic point of view. Um, as as I mentioned in my mail, the manner in which you kind of integrate the mathematical precision of South Indian rhythmic approaches with the lurchy claves of Afro-Cuban rhythms. I personally don't happen to know anyone who integrates it so seamlessly in a manner that's so cohesive. Where did that journey start? And was was this a vision you had in mind from the very beginning? No, not not really. I mean, it's 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 really a matter of, of uh, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, I didn't set out at the beginning and, and attempt to achieve that. I mean, it's just... As I as I go through, you know, my musical journey, you know, when I come across things that that um, you know move me emotionally and intellectually, you know, then I'm compelled to to look into them further to whatever degree to whatever degree that is. Um, and so it's kind of made me a, a little bit of a musical magpie in a way, in that you know there's lots and lots of different things that that have you know really caught my attention in depth over the years and have, have been compelled to um, to study them. And then as more and more things, um, you know, as the vocabulary of all of those things, uh, you know, develops in, into a richer, um, you know, richer statement, then the natural thing is to then, you know, see how they cross-fertilize with, with one another, you know, so that's that's like a personal journey in the sense of, uh, you know, seeing how things, seeing how things fit together. Mm-hmm. Even one of the things that amazes me about, about the world of music in many ways is that there's not more, um, you know, hybrid multicultural players and hybrid multicultural forms. It's, it's, it staggers me that, that it's not that common and it's, it's, it just seems bizarre that there's not a lot more cross fertilization musically bearing in mind that musicians tend to be, you know, some of the most uh, musicians and artists tend to be some of the most open-minded and freely creative members of our, uh, of our species. I agree on all kinds. Is there a specific rhythmic uh, approach or culture you would refer to as home um, as, as your musical route? No, you know, I think it asked that in, in terms of instruments. You know, what's your favourite percussion instrument? And, you know, I always answer that question by saying um, that they're all my family. So it's like, you know, if, if uh, you know, you've got three kids, you know, you wouldn't necessarily, although some people do, um, you wouldn't necessarily come out and say, oh, you know, little little jenny is my favorite or something like that you know they're all your children and it's your family and i i kind of think like that about 
percussion and also uh, you know percussion instruments but i also think about that in terms of um you know like a, a, a rhythmic bass in a sense because um because everything's cross-fertilizing it tends to be um you know a very hybrid open-minded integration of different different ideas that said um you know my most in-depth study um has definitely been you know north and south indian you know in terms of an academic uh, an academic study or you know or, or uh, you know study with masters should we say rather than academic gotcha okay i hadn't known that about you that's that's extremely interesting um, not to be too random i remember seeing something um about your first gig being with a punk band correct me if i'm wrong yeah that's how it started it was just a random random thing as walking past a drum shop and uh you know there was a a, a uh, sign in the window drum lesson five pounds <laughs> and um yeah that was it i went in and uh that was the beginning and in in the same way and that you know it comes back to you know did you did you plan the integration of all these things um did i plan the integration of all these things um you know the indie, the discovery of indie music was completely random as well because it was a free concert that i happened to um you know but just walking past really and um you know went in and it was uh, the late great ali akbar khan Sir Rod player and and the, the great you know tambla master um, Zaki wow. Hussain, you know, and it's just at that, that point I was in punk bands in London and it was like, wow, just completely blew my mind. I'd never seen anything, anything like it. I mean, bear in mind that, you know, and it's a thing that, that you know, we'll come around to later as technology and music and the, the exposure of world music, music from around the world, everything from around the world, really, um, because of the internet and because of the accessibility of, of information and, and stuff. But bear in mind, uh, you know, so pretty much most people would hear, would know what Indian music is and they'd know what Indian classical music is or Bollywood music is, or they would at least have heard it and, and have some idea. But for me, at that point in the, in the 80s, you know, there was no exposure at all to, you know, that I'd seen of, of anything like that. So if you can imagine, you've never heard those instruments before, you've never heard that music before at all, and you go into a gig and it's, you know, Zakir and, and Ali Akbar Khan. I mean, it's... it's wow. Creme de la creme, straight to the top. Yeah, understood. But of course, I didn't know that at the time. But, you know, it's just an unbelievable experience. It's just, in, you know, it's like literally being, um, you know, having 50 tasers fired at you at the same time or something. It's just such an extreme, positive experience. I can imagine. Yeah, it's good. You know, and I think back to now, you know, I kind of reflect, I think back on that and I reflect now how, how you know, and it's good, you know, obviously, you know, that, that we can discover music from all over the world at, at pretty much any any point and it's it's just right there on your phone or whatever you're walking around on the bus with or on the tube or whatever. And I think, wow, it's, it was something, um, something magical about that, about not having any idea of what that was and then suddenly... There it is. Yes, it was, it was a, a very blessed moment, I think. Wow, I can imagine. So that kind of an experience is something I, I think a lot of us might have had to discover something and receive that kind of positive energy. Mm. But you went on and converted that energy to um, transform your life into that of a virtuoso yourself. How did that happen? And what would you think... Or, 
was the catalyst behind that? No, it just, it, you know, it's just doing what you're interested in. I think that's the thing. It wasn't ever, um, I mean, of course, I moved to London. I was originally from Portsmouth. I moved to London to pursue a career as a, as a, uh, as a musician. I mean, that's, you know, I'd obviously had ambitions to be, um, you know, to try and make something of that particular in, endeavour. But um, in terms of actually starting to bring things on board, and it, you know, it kind of goes back to what I said earlier, was that, you know, I come across things that, that I'm interested in. And, you know, for me, the natural consequence of that is to is to study it, you know, study it. And, and but it's not a matter of, oh, look, I'm going to study that in depth. It's like with, with the Indian, um, with the Indian, North Indian uh, exposure, you know, first of all, I heard that music and I was like, wow, you know, what is that? That's incredible. And then, you know, it was just in, it was on the back burner. But then a month or so later, I lived in Tottenham at the time and a uh, newspaper fell through the front door, was delivered to the front door, free newspaper, and it had fallen open on the mat and there was a big advert for uh, for tabla lessons. Wow. And so, you know, it's, you know so I, I, I took that, you know, it was a calling. So, I mean, I went along. Um, I mean, I didn't think, oh, it's a calling at the time. It's just a coincidence as far as I was concerned at the time. Um, and then as you, as you, um, I mean, the, the, doorway into that it wasn't that oh, I, I like it and therefore i'm going to become you know uh you know spend a lot of time getting it together it was l really a matter of of intrigue and and interest and enjoyment that was the that was the uh inspiration you know um and and slowly i mean the idea in the beginning was that the that the rhythmic ideas were so different from anything that i'd heard before that i thought actually <clears throat> it will be a good way to get some new ideas into my drum set vocabulary mm -hmm. as it was it took years and years to build that bridge i mean literally you know 10 15 years to actually be able to decipher any of the indian vocabulary on on drum set for me um, but but that's that said um you know, I just slowly got into into the instrument, and when you when you go a bit like going to the concert and having never seen it before, you know, when I went into, you know, the first the first tabla lesson with a great uh, teacher, Yusuf Ali Khan, um, who actually coincidentally was uh, uh, Ali Akbar Khan's nephew, hmm. I believe. Um, so when you go into that situation. And, like, everything is different. You know, the way, you know, sitting down to play the drums, you know, sitting cross-legged to play the drums. You play the buyer with the left hand and, the, you know, the, the diner with the right hand and the, the way the patterns are put together, the vocalisation of it, um, you know, the people, the, the everything, the environment, the social environment, the, the cultural aspect, because it was in an Asian centre that I was, I was learning wood green in north london right and it's one. just everything is so completely um compelling that you're pulled into that world it's not like you, you know you stay on the outside of it hmm. um you, you're pulled into that world and you can see how how complex it is what's happening with the drums and with the with the uh the the, the rhythms the rhythm structures everything is so complex and involved and interesting that you're you know that you're pulled towards it or 
you're terrified of it. There's two things. I mean, I think one of the things about, and I, I noticed this a lot when I started to do, um, you know, education myself, adult education tablet classes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite funny because the first week of the class, you know, you'll get about 40 people there all sort of, you know, <clears throat> happily saying that they're learning, they're now learning the tablet. The second week, it's at least half. Right. Half have given up in one week. Right. And then week by week, you're losing 50% until a couple of months in, you've probably got two people coming. Not because of how you teach. It's all it's pretty much a lot of adult education tablet classes seem to be like that hmm. with, with my friends and, and with everyone. It's just so complex that this commitment is so great to spend the time with it and penetrate it enough to be able to even start to perceive the the vocabulary and the and the depth of it. It's it's a big big undertaking. Yeah, it's a lifetime calling in a way, isn't it? A lifetime's not enough, I think. To be honest, very true, actually. You know, it's 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 really not. We, you, know, you look at the masters and you look at, I mean, just superhuman stuff going on there. You know, it's <laughs> like um, yeah, indeed. Just incredible. I um, I'd like to hone in a little on what you um, uh, said earlier on about taking ten to fifteen years to find a way to implement the vocabulary you'd learned through Indian rhythms to drum kit. Um, I can't help but wonder. I mean, it is kind of new, isn't it? There there aren't. I mean, just literally less than a handful in the entire world who probably do that. We're actually yeah. doing an authentic job of using that language on the drum kit. Um, do you think it has something to do with the manner in which Indian rhythmic systems have tended to be more linear in nature as opposed to vertical? Yeah, to a point. I don't think, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's so much that. I mean, that's because there's a lot of linear concepts in, in um, you know, certainly in in contemporary western drum set for example mm-hmm. over the last you know 40 50 years and of course in 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 classical composition as well there's a lot of linear linear approaches i think more to the point it's how music is is structured and and i think you kind of that's the the, the thing to really penetrate so you know if you look at the kind of modus operandi if you like for um, north indian classical duo so say sitar and tabla for example the music is structured in a way over many centuries to be able to cater for the for the the rhythm work that is an integral part of that right. uh, that musical form and so the way the music structured means that you know simply put yeah, you know, if you've got sitar and tabla or, or a, you know, a percussion and a and a melody instrument, then when each of them solos, so we call it soloing, um, for just for the sake of this conversation, right. when each instrument solos, the other one keeps time. So if the sitar player is is you know uh, meandering and doing lots of different um, you know um, solo stuff away from the uh, the actual um, melody of the of the the rag then the tabla player will keep a basic time cycle right and vice versa when the tabla player is soloing then the the uh, melody player will play the repetitive melody round and round marking out the the time cycle 
Right. And so that idea of people taking turns to solo is is completely different to um, you know how, say for example, it would be in jazz, where if somebody is soloing, let's just say um, that you know there's a melody player soloing and a and a drum set player, and other supporting instruments, of course, like bass and, and whatever. But let's just say the the, the relationship between the, jack, the the saxophone soloist and the the percussion player, the drum set player. Now the the drum set player can leap onto a lot more stuff and interact a lot more in the spur of the moment and follow some of the directions and routes that the that the melody soloist would be would be going on, and that doesn't happen in in to a point. It, it does happen sometimes with more modern, um, you know, more modern players is that they'll have set things that they that they kind of follow. And obviously, you know, the endings and all that, the big chakra dance and conclusions and finishes, mm-hmm. they'll they'll play together. But um, and so just even that basic idea of um, when someone solos and how someone interacts with the soloist is completely different between those. And that's just two simple examples. And so to start to integrate the approach of of indian rhythm into non-indian music in itself comprise you know um, presents a little bit of a uh, a conundrum in that the music isn't designed for that um, to to occur right so if a jazz drummer is soloing for example um, then they might be soloing over the form, hmm. so they might be soloing over over the form of the of the piece of music. Sometimes, you know, a lot of jazz drummers say, "I'll oh, sing the melody in your head," and and uh, solo over that. Right. And so it's a very different thing than having a complex rhythmic journey. Let's say someone's going to solo on the drum set for thirty-two bars. Um, you know, in the Indian system, it could be divided up in a whole number of different mathematical ways to to end up on the downbeat or end up on the, the you know the chosen note chosen uh, beat at the end of the, the or the the cycle of time mm-hmm. um and often in during that period um it, it will be hard for a, for a, someone who doesn't know the music sometimes it will be hard for them to identify where the where the time where the time is actually where the where the pulse is because the rhythm goes so far away from it. And that's one of the intriguing things and, and exciting things about it. So working out where to use that material in non-Indian music, it, it's something that takes a lot of consideration and thought. It's not something you just suddenly sort of whip out on the gig, basically. Any pointers on how to navigate those waters? Well, I think it's to me, I think it's about concepts, you know, I mean, there's, so, you know, a lot of people who are particularly, I mean, you kind of got, mainly, I think, you've got two sorts of um, Westerner that would that would study um, Indian music. You've got the musicologist mm-hmm. who goes in depth and, and analyzes and notates and takes interviews, and which is great. Right. Absolutely. Right. Fantastic. Then you've got the the, the people that go into the culture and, you know, try and become Indian, basically. Yeah, the immersive Which is fine as well, so I'm not being critical of that. But they do everything to try and fit into the music 
in a way that a, a student in young student in India, Indian student would try and fit into the music and, and learn it and, and all that. And so the, you know, the, the other area of, of people that, um, that there aren't so many of are the people that kind of go into the music and then come out and do, um, do different things with it. You know, when people like Jonas Halberg or, uh, Bernard Schimpelsberger, the the uh, Austrian percussionist, is is uh, one of those people. Yeah, he's a he's a good friend. He was on the show as well. Oh, great, yeah, great, yeah. yeah. It's a, a great free, you know, free thinking. Absolutely. Um, oh, John McLaughlin. Um, you know, I mean, you could put. I mean, Trilok Gertu is Indian, but you could put Trilok Gertu in that in that zone of people that integrate and come out with something different. So, I think they're the three the three main areas. But I think if you look at all of those people, that, that type of player, the third type of, of, of player, first of all, they all, they all get into composition, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, certainly characteristic of them all. But most importantly, I think, is that they take concepts out. So it's not like they learn, um, you know, learn uh, a raga and they learn some breaks or they learn some tihais or chakradars or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then just play that as a piece. It's fine to do that. A lot of people do it, but it's taking concepts. You know the basic concepts of of uh, you know modulation, uh, subdivision, partitioning, time frames, calculations, mathematics. You know the idea of of um, developing. You know a lap jaw, jala, and gat in a in a in a tala, you know, how you slowly bring the different octaves in, in the very beginning. And then you're adding time and pulse and then rhythm. And then with, then the tablet would enter with the gap. So you've got, but if you take those concepts out, those pure concepts, they're the things that you can apply. Right. Rather than having verbatim material. Yeah. That you would just transplant onto um, what your environment was. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I was actually, um, um, I've, I've experienced somewhat so, something somewhat similar from the other way around. I, I'm of Indian ancestry and studied jazz piano. And uh, I'm, yeah. I'm at a point where I try and find commonalities between how do I apply, you know, the bulk of that knowledge into something that's not designed to have fit into that format. So uh, one of the things I keep asking myself is how important is the ability to look beyond the cultural idiosyncrasies and focus in on the essence of each of these modalities and find the commonalities between all of them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the essence of it. I think to get into the a priori, um, you know, the a priori of it all, you know, and you kind of go back to, um, you know, you kind of have to go back to the beginning, really. You go back to, um, you know, almost pre-agricultural revolution and sort of think how were people and how were they discovering music and creating and putting things together. Very true. And, you know, the system, the systems that we have have been constructed, you know, constructed over centuries and in a way kind of creates unnatural divisions mm-hmm. in, in that, um, I mean, before the cultural uh, cultural revolution, the <laughs> the agricultural revolution. <laughs> well, the cultural revolution is not wrong either, technically. But I hear you. Yeah, 
uh, before the agricultural revolution where you know people didn't stay in one place mm-hmm. and the concept of 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 uh, you know settling and uh, and saying creating an area of land and saying this is ours yeah um you know didn't it wasn't part it's not, it's not a this idea of of segregated lands is is kind of an artificial uh, we, we just take it for granted now we think oh well, that's what it is so true so but true. and it's i think you know not wanting to get too much into that but i think there's a similar thing with music you know it's it's obviously things have developed in specific areas over huge amounts of time um and they all come from the you know they all come from the same spring water, if you like. Completely agree. Um, um, that resonates deeply. I guess it also kind of explains why most musicians will have a, n- a very strong nomadic side to them, one way or the other. Yeah, in a way. And, it, you know, certainly, you know, traveling the way that we do kind of leads to that. And, and you know, we're lucky because we travel, we meet, and perform with cultures and people from all over the, the world um, on a, on a regular basis, which is, uh, uh, well, not the last couple of years, but before that, you know, it's a massive, massive privilege and an eye opening and, and, uh, you know, important aspect, I think, of being a musician. Um, I, you know, I, I, like I say, I'm, I'm amazed that, and it, it's not a negative, but I'm amazed that there's not more cross cultural, um, collaborations in in you know i'm not quite sure why that is i mean even if you look between north and south indian there's i mean there's people play together yeah of course but there's not that many there's not that many i mean i don't know very many people who have studied north and south indian music for example yes it's you know it's 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 there's a very very few people i agree i share your amazement yeah it's um it also kind of uh, i was actually about to refer to that um, in, uh, in reference to what we just talked about a couple of minutes um back um you know the the honing in and the focusing on the essence and i, I guess um, i'm rambling a little my apologies but what i'm wondering is why aren't more people trying to focus in on that essence what's holding us back i, I think I think it's categorization, really. I think people are used to, um, you know, categories of, of uh, I mean, categories would have happened naturally in the sense that, you know, before worldwide travel was as easy as it is. I mean, you can even go back. I mean, you know, my my wife was born in India and, um, you know, when when she came over with her, with her mother, they went back and forwards a couple of times. You know, it was by boat. You know, that's in the that's in the seventies. Wow. You know, and so you think actually, it's not that it's not that that long ago that we couldn't really travel like we do. If we did, it would take a couple of months. You know, it takes three months to get from you know the south coast of England to to New Zealand or something. Mm-hmm. You know, stopping at different places around the world and. And so the, the the obviously you know the the different parts of the world the music would have been changing at a much much slower rate than it than it does now you know if you, but if you look since um, 
recorded music effectively um, and then the sale of recorded music you know from edison to you know right through to uh, to modern day digitalized uh, you know music the actual amount of it has just gone just through the roof there's so much stuff available you're kind of overwhelmed by um different music and therefore that everything kind of gets categorized mm. and i think people take that on board along with education you know generally speaking but there's no place other than when we're educated as kids there's no place in the natural world or the you know amongst any species on the planet where subjects are categorized like they are in school you know an hour of maths and an hour of geography and an hour of science and an hour of it it's it's kind of not natural and so our minds start to get um, forcing things into into pigeonholes and into categories and i think that's why that's one of the contributing reasons why people kind of learn one thing um and and don't necessarily expand out and embrace lots of other uh, different things as well and of course the other element is the you know the the, the tribal element of of learning something of your people you know of mm-hmm. your, where you're from your area mm-hmm. and um or one's area um and that's you know part of your your uh, you know dna if you like musical dna so I, I think there are lots of reasons and not necessarily negative but i can see why um i can see why people would settle on 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 just one style or one one thing indeed yeah, it takes quite a, an explorer really to start to venture the the dangerous and you know unpredictable waters where you know people where you you come up with stuff and people don't really know how to people don't necessarily always know how to respond to it because they've not seen that yeah put together before in that way yeah, the initiative of coming out of one's safety zone—it's uh, you know—it's it's can be quite a bit to handle. Absolutely, yeah, um, yeah, completely. Also, just FYI for our listeners, when I uh, when I ask why aren't more people focusing in, and it's not a space of judgment it, that comes from its observation, and you know, I'm, I'm genuinely curious yeah, just to clarify yeah. to our listeners: no judgment here whatsoever, and uh, um, yeah. I mean, you know, for me, it's a matter. It's not a matter of judgment, it's, but it's a matter of um, of slight sadness, I would say. Yeah. Because you know, it would be. I mean, it's the same, to be honest, with with um, you know, with everything, with people. Yeah, I agree. It, you know. Yeah. The idea of cross fertilizing and sharing and uh, it's a, it's vitally important to the to the future. I completely agree, and I, I, I'd like to think of the same camp. I guess uh, the complexities involving that entire process is, you know, um, at least I, I only speak for myself when I say this, turn out to be a little more um, uh, than I'd imagined um, at a different phase of my life. But, you know, I'm only speaking for myself there. Um, speaking of <laughs> different musicians uh, uh, to engage with and play with, I'm, I'm actually on your website and uh, going through the list of collaborators you've had throughout your career it is yeah. mind-boggling. It's not just the names themselves, uh, but also the the diversity and uh, the sheer, uh, you 
you know, uh, for lack of a better term, quality of the collaborators. Uh, I mean, my God, I mean, from Bjork, Peter Gabriel to A.R. Rahman and Zakir Hussain to, um, I mean... I mean, uh, my listeners should just go check out this page. It is literally one of the most mind-boggling lists of collaborators I've seen. Uh, it is a, it is a, it is a list. I mean, uh, you know, I would say that a lot of that is sessions as well. It's not necessarily all all collaborations, but uh, it's um, uh, you know, it's a, fair play. it's an honour really to to work with with some of these people that I've worked with. It's, it's, I've been very lucky, you know, very blessed to have to have. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, a lot of it comes from, you know, having the open mind and having, you know, I noticed that as soon as I started releasing CDs and was putting projects out there that were visible and, and touring and doing gigs with my own projects, you know, I would get a lot more people. Uh, first of all, I'd get a lot more people calling to, to, because they'd heard something and they wanted something like that on their, on their record or their film or whatever. But the other thing that it, that it, uh, that it opened the door with was having more of a free, open, creative hand with um, with whatever I did on sessions or films and stuff like that. So, you know, it was a it was a well, it's just a great path to have to have trodden. You know, I feel very lucky to have to have been involved in some of those projects. You're very modest, and it just speaks for the enormous stature of musicianship and body. Um, but I, I'm I'm curious though, um, what 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 would if you could and i know this is an unfair question really but if you could boil it down to uh one distinguishing factor which made you the one person such an enormously diverse list of uh, artists giant artists chose you to be part of their project what would it be I don't know. You have to say open mind, really, as well, and and you know the idea of coming up with something different, of not just churning out what's expected of me. You know, I've I've always felt, um, you know, very um, a great responsibility to come up with something interesting um, on on whatever project I've been involved in, recording or 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 live. And so, you know, that responsibility and that attention to attention to detail and, you know, I suppose conceptualization of sound, you know, thinking of the, you know, different timbres and different, um, you know, tonalities and the way things fit together, the way instruments fit together to make interlocking parts. And but I'd, essentially, I'd say, you know, responsibility and uh, being responsible and, and an open mind. Right. That's that's a very interesting balance, actually. Responsibility is often associated with uh, um, boring, and I'm, I'm I know I'm putting myself out on the ledge here, but and yeah. that combination with that open mindedness. That so I, so I guess and please correct me if I'm wrong. So that balance between discipline and freedom. Yeah, to a point. But I mean, respons- by responsibility, I mean that, you know, it's my responsibility to come up with something interesting. Gotcha. And so, you know, the route to that responsibility gotcha. is is not just on the session and it's not just in the in the studio or on, on that gig. It's that whole, it's, you know, the years and years before that have led to that moment, whichever that moment is. 
and it, you know it's the you know keeping keeping an open mind to stuff. I mean, I remember doing the you know I did um, Bundy Mushroom with uh, A. R. Rahman, mm-hmm. and we had like a week in the studio somewhere in in um, South London, and at the end on the last day, I'd had my tablet there the whole time. You know, I'd never, I hadn't done tablet on the session. I'd just done everything else, Tyco and this and that, whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he said, "Oh, you know, I would like, you know, let's do a bit of tablet on this track." So, so I, I started playing tablet on the track. You know, he comes over the head, comes over the cans. It's like, oh, it's it sounds too Indian. Really? <laughs> like, so I'm okay. So, so I start doing uh, the irony. You know, I, I know. As I start doing something else, slightly different pattern. Huh. And he goes, "Oh no, it's, it's it's still too Indian." And um, so, in the end, I I turned the drums around the other way, so the high one was on my, you know, I swapped the buyer and the diner around, and um, was just was playing them like bongos. And he's going, "That's exactly it. That's exactly what I want." Wow. And so, I think the thing about it is that you can't preconceptualize what people want on something you've got to go in with a fairly fairly open mind and not be too bogged down by you know the specific uh you know rules and regulations of a tradition that you know or or whatever mm-hmm. you've kind of got to go in and you, you know you're kind of like their sound module really that's the way i think about it with with uh, with sessions and so your your responsibility and your your creative palette is you know giving them the opportunity to um you know discover something about that aspect of their music that they didn't know was there before yeah that's that's very inspiring that's a very inspiring point of view actually um I want to respect your time. Uh, I know we want to keep this as crisp as possible. And this is really amazing input. Um, I also, um, I'd be super curious on the development of your app, uh, which I find is somewhat kind of, you know, even though indirectly related to what you just said. Yeah, very true. Because it's one of the most diverse, you know, one of the most flexible apps out there. Yeah. Yeah. Drum Jam. The app's cool. It's been out for a few years and, um, the, the the idea that I had when one there's a few angles to it actually. Mm-hmm. Um, the the first one of the things that that was apparent to me on um, you know people people's perception of percussion was that they wouldn't always necessarily know what what instruments sounded like mm-hmm. exactly. They would they wouldn't be at, like if you were interested in the tabla. And, you know, you might know roughly the sound of the tabla, or someone might know roughly the sound of the tabla. <laughs> but you can't explore with it because, you know, it takes, you know, probably a year to even get the basic tones happening on the on the instrument. Right. So I had the, the idea that I wanted to have something that would be something where people could explore the tones of an instrument right. without um, without having to study it you know just as a almost like as a learning thing in a way that's really interesting i hadn't realized that the seed of the idea had its roots in education yeah it was one of the seeds there was a few different angles to it this was one of them and so that's why i had the idea of the drag you know dragging finger on the on the 
on the solo pads and stuff like that so people could explore the instrument and it's also why there's a big within the app if you go in there you can see there's a big educational pack inside the app about all the instruments the history and pictures and how you play them and all that sort of stuff oh. if you go into the documents in the app that's all that's all in there so and then the other the other idea um was to us which i suppose is, is educational and practical in a way of how to be able to um, um show people the possibilities of different combining different percussion palettes so the idea the first idea that i had with that was i don't know if you've heard of an app called urban spoon i haven't no uh, it's, it's a pretty old app that's been around i think it's probably still around i don't know but uh, basically, it's like a little fruit machine, mm -hmm. and it picks up your location, and you shake it up, and it comes up with three restaurants near you. Oh, nice. So, it's a pretty cool idea. Then you shake it again, you get another three. You can kind of select select which ones you want. Mm -hmm. So, I had that idea. Maybe it could be like a shaker and a bongo and a and a cowbell or something, you know, whatever, and then shake it up, and then you'll get a... You know, I don't know, a tableau and a and a something else. Different combination of, of instruments. Beautiful. And then flick over to another page and then you can solo on top of it with another chosen instrument of your choice. So that's how it came about. And um, that was the original idea. And then it enveloped luckily I got a one of the app geniuses of the of the early music um, app development with Jesse Chapel. Mm -hmm. And um and then we just started putting piecing it together and and um, you know, and so so just for the for the listeners, it's you can you can drag. It's all acoustic audio, so it's not MIDI at all. So you can drag loops in to a window that's uh, X Y axis, which is volume and pan, um, and then you can do f different filters and different stuff on on those. Drag loads and loads of different loops in that all play together at any pretty much any tempo or sixty to two hundred anyway. And then you can you go over to the solo patch and you can solo on top either by dragging or tapping or whatever you know, but it's it's you know it's it's done really well and it, and if anything I think it's um for me you know existentially it kind of gets across the idea of no barriers because I don't divide it up into um, you know Indian percussion and you know African percussion exactly. and Cuban percussion and Arabic percussion although all those all those instruments are still there. Exactly. Um, it means you can drag anything in and it will work with anything, anything else, you know. Indeed. Who would have thought it would have taken an app to explore these commonalities? Yeah, yeah. And I if I may plug in a, a user review as well, I, I've used this app. It is not funny how good it sounds and how realistic it sounds. It is, it's spooky almost. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I wanted to achieve with it. You know, that's why it's very important to have it as acoustic acoustic audio may i ask you a uh, request you to uh, take us through uh, the recording process of it did you just take a day off to do a studio session simple you know really the the least complicated and i find that that with percussion generally i mean it's not always the same if you go and you you go into uh, air studios or something that mm -hmm. you know they might want to record the room and they might want surround sound and they might want this mm -hmm. for something like for an app like this is you you want to have as little interference so really one 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 mic mono and so then you place everything in the stereo the stereo spectrum as soon as you start to 
you know, record it all in stereo with different things. It just gets, it's just too much, um, you know, it's too much natural stereo mix on everything. So, and I, you know, I prefer that actually with putting a lot of percussion down, if you're putting loads and loads of different percussion parts, you know, I think the simple approach to it, for me personally, you know, everyone's going to have a different uh, and a different approach and, you know, different contexts also sometimes require a different approach. But generally speaking, I, I try and keep it simple, you know, um, mono for a lot of the, a lot of the individual drums, mono mic. Uh, so you can, so you can then work, work with it afterwards. Obviously if you've got, other drums it might they might need to be stereo if there are if there's more than one drum for example you can't you know pop that in i'm so happy you say that because i'm absolutely in agreement with you in fact you know it's one of the first things music producers learn about at least the good ones that you know your mix needs to sound legit in mono first you know that's the because even the human ears even though we take it in through stereo we still kind of uh streamlining it into a mono signal in our heads yeah yeah, I mean the other thing is I mean, with the app, it, you know, because the the actual X Y axis is is stereo right. uh, means you can place instruments in the different place in the stereo mix. So the instruments oh. are initially mono, but then of course they're placed in a stereo field. Exactly right. So it's like a like a percussion ensemble coming at you. Exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds yeah. amazing. I mean, for my listeners, if you haven't checked this app out yet, um, you know, and this is I have no vested interests in this, and this is no advertisement, but you really need to go check this app out. It's it's a game changer. I don't think there's any other app out there um, which does anything similar. There's not actually. There's mm-hmm. not. I mean, it's, it's weird because it's been out now for, uh, um, well, six or seven years, I think, if not more, and uh, it still does really well. You know, on the last update, it was top five in about 40 countries for a week. Nice. So, I mean, it does, it does do pretty well. I'm very happy for you. Music apps, that was not apps overall, of course. That's really good to hear. It definitely deserves that kind of recognition. Any any um, chance or any ambitions of going for a multi-track version of the same in the future? Is that a possibility? Well, no, we're, we're releasing a um, uh, an AU version of it. Beautiful. in the next probably in the next month or so i think for real so it'd be audio unit so that kind of makes it multi-track because you could you know, just put loads of versions of drum jam in the in um you know what you can anyway in q you know q basis or whatever awesome. um, and stuff like that so yeah that's amazing so my listeners definitely worth checking out um we, we're coming towards the end as mentioned i do want to respect your time well, have, have, are there any other questions that you uh, that you have? Uh, well, I, I love what you mentioned about you know, global music today and how the ro- instead of looking at global music and its role in our current world, it's more about how it's turned into entertainment and commodity rather than being a vital cultural asset to the community. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, that, oh, that, you know, it's a really important aspect of for me. It's an, an important aspect of of music this idea of you know art has become you know a saleable commodity more than it's become a resource for for a community i mean if you think about music in particular you know music is we're we're swamped by music it's you know it's just everywhere where you don't want it to be it's in the supermarket you know some of the clothes shops down near where i mean they're more like a disco than they are a 
a clothes shop. You know, you can't, you literally can't go in there. Mm. You know, the phone, you, you, you get through to someone on the phone and then you've got some distorted, like, nuisance in your ear for 10 minutes while, while you're waiting to get through. Mm. Um, and for me, I think it's important to get back to, you know, where we came from, first of all with music when music was part of our part of our everyday lives in a in a community and i learned a massive amount when i went to um rajasthan i did a project in rajasthan um deep deep in the deserts of rajasthan i went i went out to jaipur and then we went out into the deserts with the the, the promoter of this was putting this project together and then we went to all these little villages like literally in the middle of the desert you know with no running water just just incredible, amazing experience. And then each, each little village would put on a performance, you know, under the banyan tree or, you know, somewhere in the village. Wow. And um, it was just an incredible experience. And it made me realise, made me see something for the first time. And that was that, you know, music was was part of their everyday life. It wasn't, it wasn't something that they were trying to achieve something at or become famous at or you know have any other ulterior motive to to what they were doing they music was just part of their you know they had a community and the consequence of the community was the, the culture mm-hmm. you know and i'm kind of thinking what what would it have been like you know to have you know had music like that in in when i was growing up and as you know i suppose arguably you could say things like a, a punk rock movement or or a you know, part of a of a culture, if you like, but it's a very quick, you know, doesn't exist for a very long time, and then there's something else, and then there's something else, and something else. Mm-hmm. So, just this idea that that music was part of everyday life and not something that um, you know is a saleable saleable commodity, and also how people would have perceived music. And if you go back before, you know, before Edison and before recorded music, you know what what music would have meant when you saw it, you know, the musicians would have been the only time you'd have heard music and seen music would be, you know, live in, in, in the village or in the the cathedral or wherever. And it would be like these people were, were sorcerers and magicians and, Mm. and, you know, healers, alchemists of sound. Yeah. It would be something that would be completely mind blowing, and then you'd see people doing it, um, and then you wouldn't hear it again. You wouldn't go home and you know li- listen to music. You'd listen to music in those environments, and I think music um, would have been perceived in a completely different way than it is now because we're, like as I said earlier, we're swamped with so many different things, and we're swamped with music wherever we are that it kind of dulls, I mean, maybe not us, the musicians, the people who have, have, you know, been so involved with music and sound, but certainly in terms of the perception of music by the, the masses of society, I, I, I don't think they see it with the um, um, reverence that they, that, and it's not like saying, oh, we need to be, you know, worshipped as musicians or anything, but Music is something that needs to be revered and and uh, respected, and and I, I don't think I don't think society sees it now as a particularly 
valuable thing to their daily lives. So it's, mm. You know, an inter- it was an interesting thing, the, particularly the being in in Rajasthan and seeing that it was so much part of their daily lives. And I'd not experienced that before because all of the music that I experienced, you know, in India as well, um, was, you know, as much about achievement as it was um, about, you know, achievement and and being in a senior position in, in society as it was about the music itself. That goes for, you know, jazz musicians or, you know, whatever. That, that was my my feeling yeah. from that. Of course, there's obviously exceptions. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I realize at the risk of um, formulating a somewhat blanket question, if, um, may I ask you what you personally believe the highest purpose of music is, apart from the communal aspect? Well, you know, when, when you have to look at the, I think in a way, you would look at the ex- exploration of sound or the ex- exploration of of objects in a, in a creative sense, mm-hmm. you know, it's what's, it's what's driven us to, um, you know, to developing as a species. And if you look at how sound is used and sound is used in the, in the, in the animal kingdom, for example, you get birds, you know, in the jungle, um, that, you know, birds that live towards the top of the trees sing at a much higher pitch than, the birds that live nearer the floor of the jungle wow. because they've learned about the reverb and how the sounds will carry. So if the bird nearer the floor of the, of the jungles has birdsong of a high pitch, it will just reverberate too much uh, and won't go to its destination, whereas low pitch cuts through more. Amazing. And so, you know, the, I think sound as a, you know, I don't necessarily differentiate, you know, sound from, from music it's just developed in a in, a, in a, a different articulation you could you know you could equally say that um you know language you know we're communicating through words which is sound they reverberate in our head mm. you know it's 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 vital to our development as a species and now we're kind of overtaken a little bit by the intellect right and we've kind of lost some of those basic you know lost some of the uh Higher intelligence, the more intuitive side. I think we've just lost our connection a little bit with some of the primal yeah. things, mm. Mm. such as sound. Right. I mean, you look at the marvel of of how language languages develop, I know, right? and you know, in you know, Chinese, for example, and some African language where languages where um, pitch is used in immense detail in in uh, in the language. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's all about it's all about communication. Very true. There's a one place in Turkey where um, it's, I think there's just one place left, and I, I can't, I'm not sure where it is, but it's obviously it's in the middle of, pretty much the middle of nowhere in these valleys, and the way that um, the people communicate is by whistling <laughs> these these different, a bit like birdsong, really. Amazing. Uh, and it's it's interesting. I mean, be you know, God, it'd be interesting to go back to the to the beginning of uh, the human species and have a a, a time lapse of the development of music. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I, I think it might have been a meme or something. Um, <laughs> embarrassingly enough, but I remember reading something like you know, music is what 
or, you know, emotions words can't express. Mm. I don't know if that's too too far a stretch from what you just were referring to. I think one of the things as well is that, you know, it's not something, you know, it's not something you can put into words. Exactly. Because of the way you're experiencing it. Exactly. And it's almost alien in 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 some ways. It's kind of abstracted. Having it recorded is an abstract of the actual experience of the music making process. So true. In many aspects. It was an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for doing this. Great. Thanks for your great questions as well. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. No, no, it's, uh, it's, um, I'd be a fool not to have asked these questions. It's just um, an absolute privilege to get the chance to pick your brain the way I just did and the way you just let me. So thank you so much. Fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> How's the best way to support your work, Pete? Um, yeah, I, I don't know, whatever you, whatever you fancy, really, you know, just follow and, and, um, yeah, all, all, you know, just spread the word. There you go. That's the, that's the important thing. <laughs> that this that's the whole idea that's what we're trying to do here fyi all all links to your online presence will be included in the episode notes so for my listeners please make sure you go and check those out and um thanks again this was a massive honor and an enormous pleasure fantastic thank you my friend and we'll, we'll stay in touch absolutely gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening to the very end Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our shows so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labor of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon. Just another voice out here.